welcome back to the Don't Stop Me Now podcast. I am your HIV positive host, Miss Jennifer Vaughn here. How is everybody? Happy, happy new year. It's 2022, finally. I'm happy about that because I don't like odd numbers. So we're back to 22. That makes me happy. And um, yeah, I know, I know I haven't done a podcast in like a month, but it got a little busy during the holidays. I was just trying to get um, work finished and obviously Christmas, you know, Christmas is a freaking lot of work. I've got three kids. I've got to make sure their day is magical. And so a lot goes into that, especially now that they're older and I just can't buy a bunch of toys at the toy store that really doesn't even exist anymore. Everything's online, but honestly, it was a busy time, even though it was my time off. But I, so I just took that time just to, you know, really get that kind of stuff done just relax and I don't know, do a bunch of TikToks and, and all that good stuff. Um, but in the meantime, I did get a message from, and I, and I will do another podcast real, real soon where I do share a story with everyone. I, I was going to not do it. And then I, I did a um, TikTok live and I talked about some of this stuff that I wanted to talk about on a podcast, but I wasn't sure I should. So I sort of, they were sort of my guinea pigs. And I decided that, yep, I'm going to tell the story. It's about what I did on New Year's Eve. (laughs) Okay, so I will share that story soon. But in the meantime, I had this lovely young woman reach out to me through Facebook Messenger, along with my friend, Charlie Treadway, who's an HIV positive advocate. And um, he's in New Zealand, she's in Australia, and she's um, just coming out with her diagnosis very recently on World AIDS Day she did on December 1st. Um, She'd been positive for about a year at that point. And um, she is, my God, as vibrant as all get out. She's like hot pink in all her videos. You'll see what I mean if you check her out. Um, So what we did is we did a Zoom together. I interviewed Stephanie. And so this is the audio portion of that interview. If you want to see the video of her and me, it's on my YouTube channel. And that's real recent. It's the most recent upload. But um, yeah, so this is it. This is the audio of that video. In case you're driving and don't want to look at a YouTube video, you can just listen to this while you're, I don't know, doing the dishes, you know, driving in your car, mopping the floor, whatever you may be doing where you don't want to be looking at a video. So um, I bring you, um, and I'm so grateful to her, by the way, for doing this. Such a sweetheart and um, so articulate on top of it. She's amazing. And um, I'm glad to share her with my audience. So without I'm not going to say that I hate that without further ado, there needs to be a better way. Let's see. How about this? It's a pleasure for me to introduce to you, Miss Stephanie from Australia. There she is. So you are in, it's what, nine in the morning right now for you? Yeah. Just after nine, oh, just coming up nine o'clock. So in the future, I'm still 15 hours behind. I'm, I'm Wednesday. It's your Thursday, right? It's so crazy. It is. It is. Every time, you know. I have a friend in Australia and I, I cannot believe I did this. I asked him one time about the time and I said, I I can't even believe I said this. I said, you're like a day and a half ahead of us. Right. I said a day and a half. I'm like, and he's like, uh, no, (laughs) it's 15 hours. It's like three quarters of a day is basically, and in my mind, I thought day and a half, but I'm like, how do they think day and a half anyways? But yeah, it's always kind of hard to figure it out. So, oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I didn't even notice until you told me like there was a time difference and I'm thinking I didn't even know it was that much of a time difference. Yeah. Where are you? Are you in Australia? Or I New am. Zealand? So I'm in, in Melbourne. Yeah. Oh, oh, you are. Okay. He's in Queensland. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Hi, it looks yeah. like you guys. And it's your summer right now, right? Yeah. And surprisingly, it was raining this morning. So. Oh, it was. That's what, yeah. He was saying there was a bunch of rain um, there the other day. He was going to some festival and he said, it's really not great weather right now. He said it was kind of like just rainy and yucky, but yeah, we've been having a lot of rain here also. So yeah. Cool. Wow. Well, thanks for um, coming on to my, this will be my podcast and you'll also be on my YouTube channel. I'll do a video and we'll do the audio too. So yeah. Awesome. So you reached out to me through, um, I don't really know how you even got into, t- into contact with Charlie, uh, to red. Oh my gosh. Why am I forgetting? Uh, what is Charlie's last name? Treadway, uh, Charlie Treadway. 
Yeah, so I have a mutual friend of Charlie's and it was a woman named Sarah Fegan and she's actually very active in the community here in Melbourne. And she's been one of those people that have been around since like my first of my diagnosis. And she's someone who has just helped me and thrown like any opportunity my way if I wanted to do it. And I mentioned you to her, like that I was following your TikToks and stuff like that. And she goes, oh, I've got a friend who's mutual friends. And I'm like, oh, can you reach out? So it kind of just happened that way, which was really cool. Okay. So, so you and Charlie kind of came to my uh, messenger through Facebook and sort of a double message. And um, so I don't know, and I kind of wanted to like find out about you through this interview. So I was like, I wanted to be all authentic. So I want you to tell me, because I don't know much about your story. You've shared a little bit with me about advocacy, but um, like, tell me about yourself, like how old you are and where you live and what you do for a living and all that stuff. And I love your pink. You're so cute. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. It's very identity of mine. Um, So I was diagnosed uh, last year, I think early October, late September. So it's still very uh, new for me. Uh, We were in lockdown, we were in COVID. So it was very hard to um, get through that, that mindset of, uh, I wouldn't say limited support, because there was a lot of support online. But you know, going to the places you need to go to or getting your tests done or going to those physical places type of thing. But um, I was very fortunate that I had a lot of people around me that were very supportive in terms of family. Um, Wait, before you go into your diagnosis, how old are you? I'm 25. Married, kids, anything like that? Nope. (laughs) And what do you do do for a living? Um, Well, I actually quit my job last year and I'm kind of in the midst of finding what I want to do and it's kind of leading towards the HIV community. So I'm kind of tippy-toeing in a little bit, you know. Okay, so you've been diagnosed for uh, just a little over a year now. Yep. Right, okay. So tell me about how how did you even um, come to a diagnosis? Did you just do regular testing or were you sick or what happened? Um, It was pure luck funny enough um so I was in a pretty toxic relationship unfortunately for quite some time and he was sick a lot and it was one of those things that we just couldn't really figure out what was going on and unfortunately down the track long story short you know I'd know he was cheating on me he ended up getting tests done and he actually come back positive for syphilis and it was like holy crap okay well I better go get tested just in case. And by this time, our relationship had finished, but we were still living together. So it was just one of those things. Okay, I'm going to go get tested. But prior to that, um, maybe a good year and a half or so, I was very unwell. Um, I was in hospital once uh, where all my T-cells were just gone and my body could not fight anything. Um, And they didn't test you for HIV. No, they did not. And looking back at it now, it blows my mind. I was thinking about it this morning and it's just like, how do you not see that? Because, you know, when you listen to so many people's stories and, you know, you were in hospital for this and these were the symptoms and it's so easy to pinpoint it in your own head of how your journey happened. Mm -hmm. You know, you can connect the dots. And I've been someone who's been very sick a lot in terms of my life, like growing up, because I just thought I had a very low immune system in itself. And, you know, I worked in a bottle shop, which was a very cold environment. I get sick a lot. I just thought it was that. Um, So, you know, I'd been fairly sick very often, but coming into hospital and then that relationship and I thought, okay, well, it's time I go get tested. So I did. So I ended up getting a call that night. I was still working in the bottle shop at the time. Um, And I got a call from my doctor saying, Steph, can you come in? And it was interesting because we were in COVID and in lockdown, you weren't able to go to the doctors. So if you were being called in, you knew it was something serious. So you can imagine me sitting there at work going, holy crap, what what is happening, you know? So I went in the next morning and the doctor sat me down and she was just like, do you have anyone here with you? And you can imagine all the things that were going through my head. Like it was just nuts. And um, she had told me that I was diagnosed with HIV and everything came back negative in terms of like the syphilis and everything else. So did you know that you were being tested for HIV? Did you have to get any kind of, they had to ask for your approval, right? Yeah, absolutely. I completely approved to getting a full like STI, STD check. So you were Um, just like, test me for everything. 
Yeah, absolutely. Because mm-hmm. it, you, you want answers no matter what it is. So it did was you like, okay, think at all? Did you think no. that it could have been that? No, not right. at all. And, yeah. you know, over here, you don't hear as much about it in younger people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's a scary thought too, you know, when you're diagnosed as a younger person, because I didn't know much about HIV until I was diagnosed. Um, the first, I remember this like, like it was yesterday that the first thing I said to the doctor when she told me I was diagnosed, I sat there, I remember being in shock and then I turned around to her and I said is it like Freddie Mercury because <laughs> I'm such a lover of music and that was the first thing that come to my head sure. and looking back at now I can laugh but you know instantly it was it was the scariest day of my life well of course because what do you know about Freddie you know he died from it so Absolutely, as a 25 yeah. year old what did you even know about HIV nothing I'll be honest with you, like I I knew nothing and it was more so because it wasn't around me. I wasn't exposed Mm -hmm. to it in terms of knowing people. Mm -hmm. I wasn't involved in the community. Like I I had my own routine of life. You know, I was working, I went home, I had a partner, you know, it was, that was all there was to me. And until I was diagnosed, you know, you go through that, yeah, as you know, you go through your shock days and then it's like, okay, I better do some research, you know, and you sit there and you have a look. And that's actually how I came across you as well, because your story had popped up and it was a very like comforting thing for me. So thank you. (laughs) Yeah, of course. That was part of the reason why I did my videos originally was to find women like you, because I didn't, there was no one that I could find that look like me online it was just all gay men and I was just like you know what there's got to be another there has to be I hope there's another woman out there and there were absolutely yeah yeah. it's not that many though it's not easy to find us we're not it's we're very far and few in between um so you test positive then do you go home and say oh hey by the way I have HIV you want to go test I mean like how did that conversation go down Well, I remember walking out of the doctors and my ex-partner, partner at the time, uh, come to pick me up and I'm in pure shock and I'm crying and I told him in the car, by the time we got back, like our relationship was just really bad. So it wasn't even a comforting thing. Um, I sat in the garage. I remember lighting about five cigarettes, like within the first 10 minutes because stress release. Um, And I called my dad. So my dad's actually like my best friend. You know, he's been someone who's been a very significant part of my life, very accepting of who I am and what I go through and has seen all my health um, decline over the years when I was younger. And I called him and it was probably the most heartbreaking call I've ever had um, because dad is someone who doesn't really drop anything for anyone unless he needs to in terms of like leaving work. And he said, like, I'm coming straight over. Dad had a breakdown at work. Mm. Um, my dad called my mum, <laughs> and they both came over to my house. And I also have an auntie who was involved that I was very close with. So they actually all came around. And you can imagine the older generation not knowing as well, thinking, you know, I'm going to die. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was a lot of anger, a lot of emotion from my parents to do with my ex-partner. You know, there was a lot of blame. There was this and that. Like, it was just a full circle of emotion within the house. And I just said to them, you know, when you set foot in my house right now, I don't want any negative anything. I, I don't want any animosity. Right now we're here to discuss what this is. We're not here to point fingers and we're not here to point blame. This is something that we have to accept. And this is something we need to go forward with and take action. So that's what we did. So, and your doctor, you went into the office and spoke to her. Did she give you any like, hey, by the way, you're going to live a normal life. You're going to go on treatment. Everything's going to be fine. Did they tell you that? Absolutely. She was, she was really amazing. And, you know, looking back in hindsight too, you know, little things like when I was sitting there, she goes, don't worry about my next appointment. I want you to take your time, breathe all the time you need. Here's some tissues. If you want to ask questions, I'm here. We just sat there maybe for a good like 10 minutes and it was just Mm -hmm. really comforting knowing that it's like, oh, get out of the room now. It wasn't like that, you know. Mm -hmm. It was like take your time. I've got a nurse on the line from um, 
the ID clinic, infectious disease down here at the hospital called the Alfred, which is who my nurse is with. Um, so I was instant, instantly um, connected with a nurse in terms of treatment, um, mm. talking to her over the phone in general. And she was the one that was telling me, you know, you're going to be fine, um, this and that. But, you know, you're in that shocked mindset that everything kind of goes through one ear and out the other. But Totally. Yeah, so did your I'm, partner, did he test the next day? Well, he ended up getting a test done and it come back inclusive. So it was really interesting because there wasn't a yes or a no there, um, which is like a common thing down here. Sometimes, you know, you won't get that yes or get that no. You'll kind of get like a a blank. Um, Yeah, yeah. So it was very... um, Not conclusive. So they... they, Hmm. Well, obviously... did they, he's tested since I'm assuming, and it came out positive or you don't even know. Yeah. Well, what happened since then, he ended up getting retested after my diagnosis and he's actually come back positive. Mm-hmm. So from there, he was also introduced to another ID clinic and he started treatment at the same time I did, but his body rejected it. And it was very difficult. Um, and I can't really speak on his behalf if anything, but, you know, I did witness his health decline more than mine. Mm-hmm. And that was a very scary thing for me to see because you're also going through it. You're thinking, oh, my God, am I going to be like this? So how do I comfort this person when you've got a really toxic relationship, you know? And we ended up sitting down and we're like, okay, let's put everything aside right now. Let's, you know, we're both diagnosed with this. Let's get through it together. So we, we even had that discussion. And then over time, it just didn't really work. But Well, we, I'm we assuming try. it sounds like you feel like it came from him so it's very so did you have any anger towards him because you said he you feel Um, like he'd been cheating on you I mean I'm not really an angry person in general um I'm someone who will accept what it is and move on you Mm -hmm. know like it's easier said than done of course Mm -hmm. but I don't waste time with toxic people anymore and the way I see it is I'm not gonna waste time with my feelings on people that just treat me like crap or you know I, I just I can't do that you know and People will start. want you to be mad at him, by the way. People will oh, want absolutely. you to be mad at him. They will want you to sue yeah. him. They will want you to, you know, criminalize him for sure. So, yeah. and, and it's frustrating for people that we aren't, well, I'm not mad at the person I gave it to, or I got it from either, but in yeah. my, well, neither of them knew, right. They didn't know the person that I got yeah. it from didn't know either, but um, he, and he wasn't cheating on me, but he just, uh, he just didn't know he had it. Um, yeah. sorry go ahead that just it strikes yeah, me because I know you're okay. in advocacy and that is something that comes up a lot is people like are so angry at the person that gave it to us and I just had this sort of epiphany the other day that if somebody's advocating for HIV more than likely they are someone who feels like they're more so the victim of it and so we feel more comfortable speaking out about it I don't feel like it's the people who were being reckless or whatever you want to say about them that they're the ones that are like you know what I'm going to talk about HIV now and I'm the one who gave it to five people and yeah it's typically those of us who feel like we were somehow dealt a bad card and you know you know for whatever reason we feel a little bit like a victim I mean I know I don't victimize myself but you know what I mean like we feel like we were kind of the one that we didn't expect to be getting it and we did so um Yeah. So you, you yeah. go ahead. If, if anything, you know, we went through a lot in our relationship in general and it was very unhealthy and those feelings of the anger and the lies and this and that, like I had time prior to my diagnosis to accept them and know what I wanted to do for my future anyways, you know, was to leave that person. And mm-hmm. I feel like all those feelings that I had, whether it was blame or anger or anything like that, I didn't really feel them because I had already like ended the relationship in my mind, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and if I know to this day that he, uh, he has told me that he did not give it to me. So he's a very denial, like he was in denial and there was a lot there, but mm-hmm. I do have an IVO against him pure for my safety reasons. And, you know, there is a lot behind it, but I can't sit there and say, you know, I'm angry at him for giving it to me because I'm not because he didn't know either, you know, right. and I wish HIV upon anyone. That's right. the way I see it. Yeah. 
Right. Um, I have to ask this because it's kind of a, it has a lot to do with my advocacy. Um, I was diagnosed when I was diagnosed. I'd been with my partner for a year. I had a very high viral load and I want to get, I want to get to your viral load in CD4 in a second. Anyways, he was negative. I had another partner for five months. Didn't get HIV for me. I didn't know I had it at the time. There was other partners that I'd been with, didn't use condoms with anybody. Nobody got HIV for me because I checked with everyone. And then yeah. what I find is that women typically get it from men who have either been IV drug users, which is my past. That was what the person who gave it to me, he was doing that. But he was also doing things with men when he was on meth. So yeah. um, I'm curious to know if you know anything about your partner, if he had been with men, that was, that's typically what I find with women that have been diagnosed with HIV. They find that there's this secret of the man that they got it from, or did you do not feel like that? No, if anything, I knew for a fact he liked women. That is what mm -hmm. it is. But, you know, I, he was also a drug user and I'm not sure how he used his drugs. So obviously between cheating, you know, not wearing a condom or sleeping mm -hmm. with people and, you know, the drugs that he were to use, I, I'm not even sure. I yeah. couldn't even say, but I, you know, I could guess between those two. I can mm -hmm. only assume. Yeah. Okay. So what, yeah, it's, it's just, I'm always curious about that. Um, yeah. What was your CD4 count in your viral load when you finally got it? My viral load, I can not recall, honestly. Oh. Like, it, yeah, it took me so long to, um, when I got my test done at the Alfred Hospital with my nurse, um, everything came back. But the only thing that took so long was my viral load. And it was one of those things that um, when I got all my paperwork, I don't know how to read the paperwork. Oh, <laughs> man, I'll help you. Oh, my God. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I would love that. But I know my CD4 was just over. Uh, no, it was just under the 400 mark. Okay. Um, three, 390 or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, it's not that which, bad. It's not an AIDS diagnosis. Were you sick when you were diagnosed yeah. or? Because it sounds like you were having um, issues. No, honestly, like then. it was very like up and down, you know. Mm -hmm. So when I was in hospital, probably about oh eight months before that, and that's when I was like really sick, and they couldn't figure it out. And they were like, "Steph, if you can keep your temperature under this, we will send you home." Because I was in there for over a week and a half. And what were your symptoms? Then? Um, I had really bad fever. I had a really bad temperature. Like it was, it was beyond me. Um. I had a rash on my feet, um, mm -hmm. funny enough, but looking back at it now, they didn't check that as well because I had bed socks on. I love my bed socks, especially in hospitals. But between the fever and the nausea and, you know, just the extremely high temperature, like it was flu-like symptoms as well, mm -hmm. it was something that just completely knocked me on my butt. Right, totally tired also. Were you achy from like head to toe? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 It, so was, it was scary because you're sitting there and you're like, what is wrong with me? Is this just a really bad flu? Like I've been in hospital in the past for having influenza and, you know, stuff like that. And it's scary because I even had the thought of maybe I've got COVID, you know, I, right. I don't know. It was really common down here. And it was just at the start of when, you know, COVID happened down here and, you, you kind of put it all in a box instead and it's like okay well I'm just really sick or I've just got a low immune system and then after that I came right I went back to work you know I was still not feeling 100% but I drank water I got rid of caffeine in my diet like I did everything I possibly could to kind of like okay let's figure this out ourselves see if we can do it you know and right went back to work I got on vitamins like I fully flipped myself I quit smoking <laughs> that was nuts for me because I've been smoking cigarettes since I was 14 and wow so yeah it was it was really nuts and I lasted 48 days <laughs> oh wow you took it back yeah. up oh, oh man Stephanie okay. I hope you can stop again don't smoke I hope I can too trust me I don't want to have a you know a habit such as that I know. but it's you one know, of the hardest the habits to kick. I know it's super oh, hard. Yeah. And you know what? I had all intention of keeping that up. And then the diagnosis was just like, no, you're going to be smoking again. So <laughs> I did and I took it back up and it, it's, it was my one little stress relief, I guess. Yeah. So and I, I know get it. Yeah. did the nurse, um, did anybody describe to you that this is easier than diabetes? Did anybody I say mean, that to you? Funny enough, my dad is a type one diabetic. Oh. So 
it's it's funny because someone had mentioned you know it's as common as diabetes um yeah I know it was kind of like okay I'm I'm not sure how that is but it's funny because my dad and I can sit down and we can quite literally talk about at two different ages mind you something that we both share in common that he has an insulin pen that he relies on to keep him alive and I have a tablet that relies me to keep me alive you know and it's funny that him and I can share that you know even though diabetes and HIV are two different things but it's quite funny how you can still find that relevance in a, in a personal way. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. I just have always, I, people compare it to diabetes a lot and they say, Oh, it's so I'd rather doctors say, I'd rather treat HIV than diabetes because it's so much easier to treat. So yeah. I just, I hear that a lot. I just wondered if you heard that down under. Um, yeah. Okay. So um, like I said, you contacted me through uh, messenger and you are starting to advocate. So what led you to doing that? Cause that's, not the normal route. Most people do not want to talk about this, especially in public. And you've decided that that's what you wanted to do. What made you decide to do that? There's, there's a few answers there and it took me a long time to really figure that out. So the first thing that I found is when I had disclosed my status, um, to a few close people by me, it actually helped me process. So it was like, okay, actually talking about it, even early diagnosis, was something that was helping me heal um, and helping me process my diagnosis. And, you know, emotionally and mentally, you're just everywhere. So you're kind of looking for anything to help. Mm -hmm. Um, So I found talking about it was like the biggest thing for me. And then over time, you know, within the last year and a bit, I've lost friendships. I've lost family members. I've lost relationships and flings and, all due to stigma or all due to just people being nasty about it. And I kind of got to a point where it was like, you know what, I'm, I'm over this. Like I was, I started getting angry. Like I really did. And it just, it, it wasn't fair. And I thought, you know what, every time I had disclosed with someone, whether it be a, a fling or a relationship, it always turned to crap. And I thought, you know what, just, you know, wanting to help other people, but at the same time, wanting to help myself. So I'm like, you know what, World AIDS Day, I'm going to be a tribute and I'm going to come out public and I'm sick of people not knowing my status. And here it is, this is me on a platter, you know, if you can't accept it, bugger off. Like that was like a big personal jump for me because I was sick of so much rejection. Um, and it's not a nice feeling in general, but let alone having HIV with it, you know, it's, it's such a thing. And, you know, I ended up going to a workshop in Melbourne, um, probably about six months into my diagnosis. And I went with Sarah and she, it was pretty much like a room full of women um, over a weekend. And there was about 10 women and I was the youngest one there and they were all diagnosed with HIV. And I actually got to sit one-on-one with them and get to know them and hear their stories and it was so inspiring and it was so healing um, to sit there and be able to hear them talk about it in confidence too and you know between that and how I personally felt and just just everything all in one and wanting to help other people because it helped me so much is is other big reasons why I wanted to get into it. Mm-hmm. And how did you make your announcement on World AIDS Day? via TikTok. <laughs> you did a TikTok. Awesome. I did. Yep. I what did, did you do in your TikTok? I sat in the bathtub. <laughs> yep. And I had a uh, soundtrack in the back, a sound in the back that was from the Minions <laughs> um, with, uh, who's the main guy? What's his name? The one with a really big nose. He goes, here it is, mum. I'm going to do something very big. You're going to be very proud. <laughs> so I had that in the back and I wrote all over the screen saying, here it is for World AIDS Day tribute. I am diagnosed with HIV. I'm 25. My name's Stephanie. Um, what do you go yeah. by? I'm going to find it right now. What do you go by? Stephanie, what? Oh, it's Ink Floyd. So it's spelt 1NK. Okay. F-L-0-Y-D. ID. And then is there an S or no? 
No, it should be like an underscore 96, I think. Uh, is it? Yeah, that's got to be it. No, that's not it. There's a Steph. <laughs> there's a Steph, but that's not you. Okay, so go ahead. I'll, I'll look for it, though. I do want to. I want to. Oh, that's there you are. Okay. There's so much pink that there I'm like, so pink. that is that is the girl. Um, yep. It's oh, wow. easy it's, to identify me. It is. I'm going to follow you back here. Is it one okay. of your pinned videos? No, no, you're not in the bathroom. Uh, there. Oh, wait, is it the one where you're like under the water? No, no. So they're just little makeup looks that I like to do on the side. Okay. Um, if it should be a pinned video, oh, it is I am sitting in the bath, but you can't really see the bath, but I didn't really oh. tell you. Is it this one? Wait, 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 where's my finger? Is it that one or that no, one? Or... No. Yep, that one. This one. No, no, oh. to the right too. Yep, that's it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. So, is there, oh, hold on. I have my volume. Wait, where is my, oh, that's the wrong button. Hold on. I'll get this. I'm, I'm hitting Siri because I had it turned around, but I do want to play this out loud. Hold on. No, that's okay. It's this quite funny. So cool. Hold it. There we go. There's my volume. Okay. I'm all right. Just so you know, mom, I am about to do something. It's very, very big, very important. <laughs> when you hear about it, you're going to be very proud. Just so you know, mom. I'm <laughs> okay. So something. for those who cannot see this for the podcast, you have everything written out here. So here it is. As my own personal tribute for World AIDS Day, I'm here to say this. Hi, my name is Steph. I'm 25 and I'm HRU positive. I have officially opened up publicly. Ugh, I'm gonna get choked up. I wanna be an advocate for people whom are also diagnosed with this chronic condition and to speak up. You are not, cause I know this is such a huge stuff. Like, dude, yeah. awesome. You are not yeah. alone. Also to ease this giant stigma for, I am not a walking disease, quote unquote, of course. It has taken me a long time to love myself again, but I do, I'm happy, I'm healthy. I, as I can, as healthy as I can be, and I am grateful to be alive and here. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. There goes, okay, I'm liking your, liking it right there. <laughs> awesome, okay, we're connected now. That's amazing. Yeah. And oh, did awesome. you get- oh, yeah. I just got your like. <laughs> <laughs> and um, did you get a lot of good feedback? Have you had a lot of good feedback? Yeah, it's, Honestly, when I came out, it had been, I didn't realize how overwhelming it would be with positiveness. Like it was, it's, it's huge because I got so much love from so many people and, you know, strangers as well as like on Facebook from people and family that I do know. And it, it was just such a healing thing for me. Mm -hmm. And you know, even I even had people reach out that I had on Facebook that I went to school with so many years back and I hadn't talked to in I like in years. And they had reached out and told me their own personal things, like they could relate to me with certain things, whether it be within the LGBT community or whether it be, you know, health and medical issues, you know, they felt like they could confide in me and they thanked me for that, for having that open platform because you don't hear about it in younger people mm -hmm. and I feel it was so important because I haven't met anyone my age yet who's been diagnosed with it and that there blows my mind too and I thought maybe I am the youngest you know within the community I don't know you can't help but sit there and and wonder that but I know a lot of younger people they don't feel comfortable going to a, an older generation and saying hi I've got HIV can you help me like mm -hmm. I feel like even with me connecting with younger people is a lot easier than it is with older people you know but a little off topic there but no it's know, true and I have a girl on TikTok that you should follow she's from England her name's Shauna she's an advocate as well she's recently okay. diagnosed she's amazing and you guys should get connected because she's probably maybe maybe between 25 and 30, maybe between 20 and 25. I can't even tell, but yeah, she's doing it. And yeah, she's got a little boy and she was diagnosed during COVID. And so she's out there talking about it too. So yeah. So there you go. There's somebody younger for sure. Yeah. Yeah. She's, she's, she's doing, she's doing good things out there too. So, um, okay. So you told me that when you decided to go public, cause you asked me, you're like, have you had anybody turn their back on you? for speaking out and I, I haven't nothing in my personal life, but you have. So tell me about that. Um, 
it was probably the most difficult one. Like I've had a lot of people that just kind of don't accept it and you're kind of like, eh, I don't give a crap, you know, because mm-hmm. if you can't accept me, then why, you know? It's like, yeah. but the one person um, that is very hard for me to, um, I wouldn't say talk about, but more so because it's very recent as well, um, is my own mum. So that's been something, um, you know, yeah, it's, sorry, I'm kind of just, oof. Um, I haven't had a good relationship with my mum growing up. You know, I moved out of home when I was 14 and I moved in with my dad's side and my dad's sisters and they kind of brought me up, you know, and my mum and I had a very rocky relationship. But we, you know, as I got older, we always kept it friendly. And with COVID, it was like maybe a call every fortnight. And when I came out public, uh, when I came out, when I when I had my diagnosis, sorry, mum knew about it. She was very supportive, um, but didn't understand it. But she also went around and told other people and it was that wasn't her right to do. So it was like, OK, mum, I understand. I give you permission to talk to a friend about it because I felt bad that she didn't have someone to talk to about it so I'm like listen tell this person that way you've got a friend that way you've got support because it wasn't just me going through it It was my mom it was my dad Mm -hmm. you know like I tried to find that balance um and then in time you know I I was finding my identity more recently and you know, coming out public and I had told my mom and she was like, that's amazing. You know, I'm so happy, happy for you. And I created that Rose Fund and I'm raising money. And, you know, it was all just such a positive thing. And then I had come out publicly gay to my mom and she had known that I've been bisexual my whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, but I ended up doing a uh, video with uh, Thorn Harbour Health in Melbourne Mm-hmm. And that was like part of the video of me coming out as well. So saying I'm diagnosed with HIV and it got released on World AIDS Day and I sent it to my mum and I said, oh, mum, look, it's come out, you know, and I showed her and she goes, oh, you're the only not gay one there, like full typical, just stereotypical comment. And I turned around and said, actually, I am. And it just declined from there. Like the words that were used like I I won't ever repeat but I was very degraded I was very humiliated I she saw me coming out publicly as attention seeking Mm -hmm. um and it it still hurts it still Mm -hmm. really hurts and you wouldn't think the one person that you want to support you you know whether it not even just support but just respect what you're doing Mm -hmm. um has completely wiped you and the way I see it now is, you know, even though she is my mother, I will always recognize that. But, you know, I have to do what I need to do to protect myself from now on, no matter who they are. You know, and this and just happened this last December 1st or the prior December 1st. You just were diagnosed. Help me remember. I'm getting all confused with the 20s, the 21s, and the 22nds. Were you diagnosed okay. in 2020? 2020, yes. Right. Okay. So then when you made your announcement, it was 2021. Or 2020. Okay, so it was a year later. So that's when, and then prior to that, that whole year was when things were still kind of quiet and you didn't really want her. She was discussing it with friends, but it wasn't public yet. Okay, so then you made your announcement on just this last December 1st, which has just been a month ago, right? Okay, and so in in that time, in that just that last, what, I mean, four weeks, she's come at you and said that you're doing this for attention. Yeah, it's so, been a crazy couple of weeks. Like, yeah, that's the kind. Of, yeah, we want that attention. Has, has she dealt with the stigma? I mean, oh, my God, yeah. it's like, this is not always fun attention. A lot of the times, it's very negative. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that too because we put ourselves yeah. out there to hopefully change the stigma, but we get beat up in yeah. the meantime too. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, we have to have a stronger skin, especially if we want to help and inform other people. And people yeah. don't realize that too. You know, I'm, I'm nowhere near in terms of advocacy where you are, you know what I mean? But it's inspiring to see that, hey, I want to do that. And look how far she's come. Look how far they've come. You know, it's, it's such a big thing. And I want to build the skin that you have, you know what I mean? So I, know. I, don't know I don't know that it's that strong I'm like god I put out a TikTok the other day that I was kind of proud of and it has been I'd say 75% trolls reacting to it it's been really hard and I'm not taking it down but it's been it's about you equals you and me just like 
tired of having to explain to Tinder dates that, no, I can't give this to you. Like, oh, I don't want to discuss yeah. it again. But for the general public that don't know anything about it, they're just like, ew, you have HIV. Like, why would anybody go out with you anyway? Like, so that's the majority of the comments have just been like, no, thanks. Ew, um, you're toxic, gross, you know, like horrible. Like, it's like every time I open my phone and I'm just like, well, damn, that did not hit the community. I thought it was going to hit. It's pretty much like everybody who doesn't know about you equals you. And they're just all stuck with stigma, but it's been, uh, yeah, it's talking about, I mean, I haven't cried or anything, but I'm like, just like, Ooh, Ooh, I keep getting it from every angle. And I have to just keep remembering, like, this is something I took on and I liked it because it is a challenge. There's no doubt about it. Like, this is something that like, no one wants to talk to you. And that's, one thing that I've loved about it is like, yeah, shit, I want to talk about this. No one wants to talk about it. I'll talk about it. Fine. Cause I know yes. what it is and I don't want to like, you know, stay quiet about it when I know exactly what it is now. And there's no reason to be quiet. It's just, to me, it's ludicrous. So there's That's a challenge in it for sure, but it is not always easy. It is, it's not and um, but you know, yeah. with anything that is controversial, there is going to be a challenge or else then yeah. no one would be advocating. I mean, they're obviously, we have to do it for a reason because it is difficult to talk about, so. Yeah, absolutely. Especially when it comes to something so severe, you know, like it's, yes, it's manageable, but at the same time, there's the reason we get these trolls and these nasty comments is because people are not informed. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or people choose not to be or whatever by means it is, but at the mm-hmm. same time, you know, Speaking of Tinder, I've <laughs> now that you mentioned Tinder and not wanting to explain to people, when I came out public, I actually put it in my bio. You HIV, brave AIDS girl. Activist. I thought, no, I'm squashing it. I don't give a shit what anyone thinks. <laughs> and? and you know what? It's It's been hard with guys. Um, more so, like, they will ask questions. I haven't had anything, like, really negative or derogatory. Um but a lot of women have been more applauding and I've created so many friendships and they've been more sensitive about it. And I'm not saying, oh, guys aren't sensitive, but, you know, I've, I've had a lot of guy friends that are very supportive, but majority when it comes to the dating world can be very difficult and especially being public about it, people don't want to take that on, you know, and it's, it's quite funny to sit back and be like, you know, I'm into girls, I'm into guys, but girls are more accepting, but guys are like, hmm. Well, <laughs> there's know? a whole so. thing. It's one thing to accept the diagnosis, but there's another thing to accept our advocacy. And I find that that is the part that um, people have a hard time with. It's like, I'm not that having a hard time disclosing and men being fine with it. I'm not, it's been actually really easy, but because of you equals you, it just is. And I know the statistics with regards to female transmission, even with a high viral load. So I'm like, I have no viral load. Like if nothing to worry about, I was with somebody for six years, he's negative. You know, I go through the whole, I'm actually bored by the conversation. So I think they sense that and they're like, oh yeah, she's fine. But um, yeah, but then again, I'm like, yeah, you might not want to look at my Instagram. I'm like, you know, I'm like, <laughs> you know I talk about this all day long. The word HIV comes out of my mouth pretty much a hundred times a day. Like I, it comes, it's part of me. And like, that can be really annoying. And also your family will now know that there's this chick with HIV that talks about it all over social media and your kids might know. And it just, you know, it's, it it comes with me. And I know that that is like the harder part of it, honestly, is the advocacy. Yeah. You wouldn't want to hide yourself from anyone when it comes to this and the amazing work that you do, especially if you were to have a partner, you know, and they were to have kids and their family. Like, I can imagine how difficult that balance would be, you know. Yep, got to find another advocate. (laughs) I do. (laughs) My friend in Australia is, um, he's a pretty hunky 35 year old. We've been in contact for like four, he's positive. Um, and he got it through drug use. Um, so I, you know, we, we, we would love to be closer together. He's a little bit younger than me, but I'm like, damn, you'd be just perfect because you're well, gorgeous is all get out. And, um, you already have it and you like the advocacy part that I'm doing. Cause you, that's how you met me. You found me through YouTube. So, um, anyways, I have a little soft spot for Australia, <laughs> but, um, yeah. anyways, yeah, I think it's a, it's a hard thing for people. Do you feel like, so you said you think women are more accepting of your advocacy? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because like, um, I don't know why they see it, but I feel like it's just more of a sensitive and emotional matter that they can either be more informed or they're 
just more understanding in terms of a softer side and they're like you know it's such a big thing coming out public I really respect that and how you mm. want to help other people and they see it more in that light rather than oh you've got HIV and rather than asking all those sexual questions that come along with it you know so there's definitely definitely been like a uh, softer approach when it comes to women um, online in the dating scene compared to men, yeah. Interesting. Do you know the, the statistics on female to female? There's no transmissions between women. You know that, right? Like in yeah, the history absolutely. of HIV. Okay, so yeah. that's, I mean, hey, if you're dating women, you just throw that one out there. You got nothing to worry about. <laughs> but you it's are fair. undetectable. So, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming at this point you're undetectable, yes. yeah? Okay. Yes, How long it, took you- me, it took me about a month and a half, if anything, um, mm-hmm. because... I, I mean, the first couple of weeks were like, oh, I need to make my way into the city because I'm not too close at the time to go into the city. I don't drive mentally, emotionally. It was just nuts. I had my dad take me and take time off work. And then with COVID on top of that, like it was hard to get into it. But the more I put it off, the more I'm like, oh my God, each day I'm dying without medication. Like instantly wow. that was thought. Yeah. So it took so, how long for you to get your first dose? Uh, probably about a month, month and a half. Oh my God. Okay. I know a lot of people get super nervous when they get diagnosed and they're like, I just want to get that pill in me as soon as possible. I know I felt that way. So during that month, you must've been like super stressing out. Like you just want to get it. Oh, absolutely. And were you afraid of the side effects? I was, I was so nervous. Like me as a person growing up, I'm one of those people that like, if I can fix it myself within my body, I will do my best to do so first. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like eating healthy, exercise, this and that. Like that's that was my mindset. I had a job. I was very physical when it came to like physical labor. I looked after myself in that aspect. If I needed medication, I, it was like a last resort. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. So uh-huh. going from that mindset in itself to something that is like, no, you need to do this. Like yeah. it was such a change for me. And, you know, it was it was very it was hard for me to swallow that pill, you know, pun intended. Yeah. It, it was very difficult, but it was like, well, you either choose death or you choose life, you know, right. and, and that's what it came down to at the end of the day. And I remember even having a call with my dad and being like, I'm very nervous to take this medication. Like I get a side effects and yeah. I get easy. And I remember having that conversation and he just turned to me and said, Steph, this is, you know, you need to stay alive. You need to and realize at the moment, I can't remember. You were sick when you were diagnosed or no? You were no, just getting sick when I was diagnosed. You were not. So there wasn't that um, physical urge to try to get whatever was going on. Because that's tip, yeah. like for me, it was like, I just want this to go away, whatever's going on inside of me. But you weren't even yeah. feeling that. You were feeling pretty normal. So yeah, then that absolutely. is a weird feeling to like, you know, you want to, you don't want to take that pill because, like you said, you led a very natural life. And then all of a sudden you have to go to this pharmaceutical that you, you yeah. would prefer to not take when you're not even feeling anything so it's yeah, more like absolutely. you're just going on their word what did you um what was your medication and are you still on the same one I am so they put me on Bictavi which is what we have down here and it's done wonders for me so I've stuck with it awesome yeah. and um so no side effects then um when I first jumped onto the uh the treatment in itself like I was nauseous um I felt a little unwell in the belly like I had to make sure that I ate with it where there was a lot of people that didn't have to do that and it was just like extra things to make sure I felt okay because my immune system and I've always kind of done that you know so I've always felt things a little bit more Mm -hmm. um but yeah like I it, it was very difficult for me like with the fatigue like I had pretty chronic fatigue as well and I actually had to quit my job like from the big tarvi from the big tarvi I wouldn't say from the Victavi. It was like the fatigue from the Victavi, yes. Uh-huh. Like symptom, but not from the job. Okay. So you did have a side effect of like lethargy from the Victavi along with yeah. nausea. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Oh. And I, I am someone who suffers with anxiety as well. So I can imagine the, you know, interfering between the two of them. It's like, well, it can either be side effects or it could, you know, just be my anxiety. It's probably a bit of both. (laughs) Right. Right. And so the, did those eventually taper off and how did that, how long did that take? Um, it, it probably took me a good two months because like, I, I I don't know. It was just a really difficult time for me, you know, Mm. with my anxiety, emotionally, mentally, I feel like it all affects you just the same as physically. And 
um, the doctor prescribed me uh, a little wafer for nausea called um, Ondansetron. Mm -hmm. And it was something that, you know, the days at work where I'd have to leave the house, like, and stuff like that, it, it was very difficult for me and I'd feel really sick. And it's like, okay, I'll just pop that under my pill, like under my tongue, mm -hmm. I'll go to work, I'll get through it um, and go home, you know, and that how, that's how my daily, you know, routine was for a little while. And it was very different. Yeah. Like, I just feel like the anxiety had a big part in it. My daily mm -hmm. basis was, okay, I'm going to, I started getting on anti-anxiety depression pills. So mm -hmm. that was another thing that was hard for me to kind of accept. I've got nothing against it because I'm still on those right now. And they, they help me get by mm -hmm. and, you know, popping pills on a daily basis to leave the house or go to work or control, you know, a bit of nausea for my anxiety or symptoms or, you know, it was all just a big head stuff. And a daily basis of sitting there going, okay, I got to go to work for the day or the night. I'm going to pop the on dance trun under my tongue. I'm going to feel better in the next 10 minutes. I'm going to go to work. It, it was that constant in my head mm -hmm. that was just so hard. And that happened for a good two months before it, I could really sit there and, and breathe, you know? Wow. Um, yeah, it, it was difficult, but also, you know, the environment that I worked in, I was there for a good four years and it just turned into such a toxic environment. So yeah. I eventually kind of put two and two together and was like, you know what, toxic environment and I'm stressing like this in order to go to work, I'm not doing it anymore. So mm -hmm. I actually quit. I did. Mm -hmm. I, I quit that New Year's and it was the, probably the best decision I've ever done because I focused purely on me for the next year, you know, mm -hmm. and that was that year of being quiet and, I did what I needed to do to heal myself and, you know, continue healing. And it was just, I'm, I'm glad I did what I did, but also I don't think I could have kept up that physical job um, with the fatigue and with the nausea um, because, you know, we were hand stacking manually all these large slabs of alcohol into freezers. And I mean, those freezers are like two degrees and for mm -hmm. someone who gets sick very often, you don't want to be in that environment, you know? Yeah. So, it was something that I had to outweigh and be like, okay, over time, within two months, I went through that. And then after that, I was able to be like, you know what? No symptoms now. The the treatment's doing its thing. You know, I'm, I'm on the up here and I'm feeling a lot better and I've quit a crap job and I've left a toxic relationship and I was improving myself. So emotionally, mentally, you know, physically, I felt like that was helping. Mm -hmm. um, did you yeah. get any like therapy during all of this? I did. So I was, um, I, I was actually really overwhelmed with support when it comes to like um, Living Positive Women and Thorn Harbor Health down here. And a lot of people had reached out or I was um, referred to certain people. And at the time, like, it was like, yes, I'll take any help I can get. Yes, I can take any help I can get. And then I ended up getting really overwhelmed and I pulled myself away from it because like that was within the first two months of diagnosis as well. And it was like, okay, I, I didn't know what I needed for myself, you know, without being overwhelmed and without, you know, putting myself back in a hole. And it's like, if I speak about it, it makes me feel better, you know, because I feel like I'm progressing and understanding myself, but then, you know, you don't want to hear it on a daily basis. And there was just so many mixed emotions when it come to the support I had right at the start, but I know a lot of it was because I didn't know where I sat, you know, and I didn't know how I felt and I didn't want to overwhelm myself because it was just so hard for me. Um, but over time, you know, I was like, you know what, I'm ready to get back into this. So I started seeing a psychologist and, you know, a little bit of counseling. I started connecting with a few friends again, you know, and it was just very little steps for me. And, it's it worked out for the better and now I can look back and be like okay well that's what I needed and that's okay that's, no it's definitely okay I think you're doing all the right things you've got to do what works right for you you oh, know sure. and yeah. obviously sharing all of this is helpful for people that don't even think that they need these things so it is it's really awesome um, oh, absolutely. yeah for sure okay so you are you're on TikTok you're on are you on Instagram what's I your am. what's your handle on Instagram it's also Ink Floyd. <laughs> what is this name from? It's a one N K and then it's an F L zero Y D. 
Okay. Where did the, Oh, Pink Floyd. Hello. <laughs> I get it. Ink Floyd because yep. you've got the tats. Oh, yep. got it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Touchdown. Yeah. I've had that name for so many years that it's just like my go-to now with anything. <laughs> you know, it's like we have the passwords for everything. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, when I went through my divorce from my kid's dad in 2008, I came up with the email. My last name is B-A-U-G-H-A-N, but I just thought everyone thinks it's V-O-N and it's just easier. So I came up with Von Girl for my email, Von Girl 24. Yeah. And originally I had used that on everything in my um, original, it didn't make a lot of sense. And I, I've since changed it, but I did have Von Girl 24 on like my Instagram and my YouTube and everything. And I'm like, uh, that I needed to change because that wasn't making sense, but it was fun. And it was like, that was my new identity and I loved it. So, yeah, but, um, okay. So I definitely, and are you on, um, Facebook also? Is it the same? Um, like where should people follow you? Uh, Instagram and TikTok are probably like my, my two things in terms of openly talking about advocacy and okay. expressing like all my makeup stuff as well. So it's a okay, bit I'll of both. I'll put the links in my YouTube description and my, and my, um, podcast also. And then, um, yeah, your TikTok is very colorful. It is hot pink baby. It is awesome. Like it, you, <laughs> you have got the, um, niche market there for pink, man. It looks awesome. I mean, you just scroll through all your videos and it's hot pink. It looks awesome. Um, can I say it looks awesome five more times? Hello. Um, <laughs> I need a new word. <laughs> okay. Um, and so of course, I got to ask you, what is um, something you would say or what's ad some advice you can give to somebody newly diagnosed, especially somebody young like yourself? Yeah, okay. Um, something I would say is, oh, it's, it's, oh, wow. Um, okay, let me, let me think about this for a second. <laughs> um, take baby steps. Yeah. I think that's, that's the big thing there. Um, Take baby steps in terms of informing yourself, in terms of reaching out, in terms of your friends and family. Um, you know, everything that surrounds you, take baby steps with it. Don't overwhelm yourself. Mm -hmm. um, do what you need to do in terms of those baby steps for yourself. You know, mm -hmm. like I think that's where I stuffed up because I kind of threw myself in the deep end. You know, I, I mean, I don't, I didn't really stuff up, but it was kind of like, you don't really know which way to go, mm -hmm. you know? So from someone newly diagnosed, um, baby steps is the best way. Put yourself in a very supportive environment. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I, I feel like that's, that's probably the most important thing when it comes Support. to yourself. You've talked yeah. about this one um, group that you got support with. What's the name of the group again? Uh, Thorn Harbor Health. Thorn Harbor Health. Thorn, like a yeah. thorn in, like a thorn in your side. T H O R N. O R N E. O N E. Maybe it's somebody's last name. Okay, so it's two separate names, like Thorn Harbor Health, and they are in. They're in um, in Melbourne. Yes. Oh, okay, and um, so you found them. Like I didn't. There was no groups in person around here. So I'm impressed that you were able to find something. Yeah. No, yeah, just... well, the same thing, you know, the people that I kind of linked with like Sarah, right from the start, she was like, you should follow this page, you know, because it's got a lot of um, support networks in terms of like workshops where it, once you get to that stage where you're ready to attend these things, um, whether that be virtually online or in person because of COVID, you know, right. um, that, you know, there was a lot of workshops and courses and, and everything that you can kind of just sit there and listen and get knowledge from. And there's even times where they'll do like an over 60s or they'll do like a early diagnosis or they'll bring specialists in. Like it is such an amazing, like amazing is an understatement. It is an amazing community of people and they have helped me through so much. I would, you know, highly suggest no matter where you are in the world to follow these people and, and like them and keep up to date with what they do because it is inspiring the way they um, advocate, you know, when it comes to their advocacy and the way they share things and the right way, you know, mm -hmm. rather than, oh, I'm just going to bring someone in and go, oh, blah, 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 see you later. Like they're, they're so 
thoughtful when it comes to how sensitive this topic is and the people that work within it are also diagnosed and Mm -hmm. they understand that struggle rather than come to you like a doctor you know that yeah yeah you know because they're living it have you heard of terence higgins trust in england no i haven't it's a big uh aso and or an aids service organization in england tht follow them on, um, on Instagram. They're awesome. They are huge in England and it just sounds similar to that. And I know a lot of people like use them for, um, for support, but in the U S like I, especially locally, there was nothing. My doctor basically said, like, I didn't even get any links, like anything on the, nothing. I got nothing. So that was like for five months, I'm walking around spinning around going, I don't know anyone with HIV. Um, like where is, she just basically said, which is true in this area, it's going to be basically gay men or homeless people. You don't fit this demographic. And so she goes, I don't think you're going to find the kind of like, I remember when I asked her, is there any kind of support group? And she just kind of grimaced. She was like, "Mm, not really. Like I was like, and you know, my doctor is awesome. And she, she is, you know, she's very linked into the HIV community, but she was right. There really isn't anything in person around here. So that was well, what inspired me to like, just, that was part of the reason why I did a YouTube video. Cause I'm like, gosh, there's gotta be somebody out there. And yeah. it did, you know, I did end up finding people after, you know, a while, but it was like, gosh. So now of course there's, I always say to people, there's so much online, you know, on Instagram, there's so many advocates to follow. And it's really, really helpful. Like now that I'm connected with so many of them, it's like, Oh, it's so nice to see. Yeah, we're there. We're all okay. <laughs> totally. Oh yeah. Pause fam. I always put that hashtag yeah. pause fam. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it is an amazing community and you know, there's no one can understand it unless you're on the other side of it. It's like you, you know, I've lived my whole, most of my life without HIV. And then now I'm on the other side of this fence that I never knew I'd be on. And so there's a whole different, you become not that, you know, not, not that everybody isn't empathetic, but you do become this new kind of like you have a new outlook on life. You obviously yeah. become more empathetic about conditions because now you're on that side of the fence and you're like, oh, wow, I never knew this could even be me. And now it is. And it still is, you know, us versus them. It really is. It's sad. And it's there are great people that are the thems that really are do empathize for us. But it's nice to be with the us's who really get it. Obviously, it's a it's a really comforting feeling to know like you you don't even like I that was the most amazing thing I found in advocacy is like it doesn't even matter where someone's from. They could be from Africa, of course, live a completely different life than me, look totally different than me. But we know exactly how it felt to get that diagnosis. It didn't matter that we lived completely different lives. We still have this bond and this connection because we share the same virus. And it's like, that blows my mind still to this day. I think it's incredible to have like- We're we're all human at the end of the day as well, you know? And we all know what it's like going through that diagnosis and that day. And we all feel that exact feeling, you know? And we all know how hard that feeling is. And- you know, it's, it's funny you mentioned like with Africa and stuff like that. Like when I, when I went to that workshop that I mentioned with those other women that were in the room, there were women that were sharing their stories where they had come from um, like foreign countries that over there, they don't supply the medical stuff that we, they need to survive or their religion and culture doesn't accept them. And they, they, you know, without giving too much away this personal person, but, you know, their culture and religion was if you are sick um, in terms of like a life-threatening illness, um, you had like the devil inside of you and you were burnt at stake. Like it's stuff like that, that people don't realize when it comes to overseas, it's so scary. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm very grateful to be in Australia where I have that medical supply, where I don't have to fight to stay here, you know, where I can live freely among that. Whereas other people that are diagnosed with it have so much of a harder time, Mm -hmm. like getting through each day, you know, or wanting to stay in Australia in order to have that medical supply to, to actually live, you know, and that's a, that's another subject that people don't talk about enough, you know, but more so because, we don't know those stories, right? You know, it isn't until I had met those people where it was like, holy shit, you know, is that what you have to go through? Yeah. You know, I, 
met another woman who was diagnosed with AIDS and she actually had to go to rehabilitation because it got to her brain and Mm. she couldn't walk. She couldn't talk. She had to relearn all of that. Like she was so sick. And then she sat there right next to me and was smiling and talking with me. And it just really puts so much into perspective um, about how short and little life can be no matter what age you are, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, I think, the best thing that we do is to sit there and tell people about this because if they can't tell their stories, you know, the best thing we can do is tell it for them, you Definitely. know, without without so-called consent. But, you know, right. in, in the general matter, when it comes to these people and overseas and stuff, you know, we all feel that diagnosis. Some people go through a lot harder than other people and the best thing we can do is just be a very supportive community and I've found that we all are. You know, definitely, definitely. Yeah. Well, Stephanie, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so glad this worked out with our giant time difference, but it both looks, yeah. it looks like we're ha- at the same time of the day, but we're actually totally not. You're like I what, said, you're, oh, hang on. I'm 10 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah, it's and it's three o'clock the day before for me. So I haven't that even gotten in your, into the sixth yet. It's still the fifth for me. So but anyways, well, any so last for having me? Oh, for sure. For sure. Is there any last things you want to add before we go? Anything that I missed? No, uh, pretty much hit the nail on the head with everything. I'm just okay. very grateful to have been here to chat with you and, you know, yeah. to talk more about this. So sure. thank you. And thank you for speaking publicly. Honestly, it's like the more people that decide that they can come out and speak publicly, it's not for everybody. It's not easy, but it will help every little bit helps. And so I'm grateful, I mean, grateful to you. Number one <laughs> example, sure. you know, being yourself and here I am because, you know, you are one of the main reasons why I came out public as well. So thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. <laughs> you're so welcome. Well, kisses and hugs from California and uh, we'll be in contact. I'm glad I got your TikTok now. I'm going to start catching up on all your TikToks. <laughs> awesome, Jennifer. Thank you so much. Thank you, Steph. Have a good one. Bye. If you'd like to be notified for any of my upcoming podcasts, be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to help this girl out, then please rate, review, and share my show. Thanks, guys.